And I know a lot of times we ha- we do we have to do certain things in our life, like for a career or obligations. But then, how are we spend our time is it, is it doing things we want to be doing with our lives? And I've tried to make that shift a lot over the last few years, and I'm a lot happier doing that, where I'm like doing things that actually are important to me. So I I think it's just evaluating all aspects of how to make yourself happy, which means. Like I said, appreciating moments, being grateful, surrounding yourself with people that lift you up and you know, doing things you enjoy. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Nishant and welcome to another episode of the Nishant Gurk Show. This show is for people who want to live a fulfilled life through mindfulness practices and personal transformation. My job on this show is to invite world-class performers to share the practices to live a fulfilled life. This episode guest is Jennifer Shapiro Lee. Jennifer is a licensed clinical social worker, is an Ivy League educated psychotherapist, a certified mindfulness and meditation instructor, and a mindfulness in the workplace trainer. She works with individuals, families, and couples at her private psychotherapy practice located in Roslyn, New York. Jennifer takes a holistic approach to mental health, integrating traditional therapies with mindfulness, meditation, and self-care to help clients cope with life challenges and transitions. Her areas of specialty include depression, anxiety, grief, stress, life direction, and relationship issues. In addition to her therapy practice, she teaches th- individual and group meditation classes that leads to therapeutic retreats, corporate wellness events, and is a motivational speaker. Jennifer specializes in educating companies and organizations about mental health awareness. Jennifer was honored by the Long Island Press as a power woman in business in 2019. In the same year, she was also recognized by the Long Island Business News as one of the 50 most influential women in business. And now let the episode begin. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me here. I'm thrilled and excited to have you. What did you have in the breakfast today? You know, I actually, I actually have not had breakfast yet. I need to, but I have not. I think after this call, I'm going to go work out and then eat after that. New York. I am. I'm in New York. So what, what do you think about this COVID-19? What, what's your thought and opinion on this whole pandemic? Well, it's tough. I mean, especially right now in New York, because New York is one of those hot spots. So it's really, it's, I mean, I know it's everywhere, you know, in the world, but, you know, there's just so much going on here. So, you know, from a therapist kind of taking it all in, I'm a psychotherapist, and also from a personal standpoint, it's just, it's just, a, it's a very weird time, right? Like in a, a time that we haven't really seen like this. I mean, we haven't ever before. Um, lots of uncertainty, but um, I definitely noticed some, you know, there's highs and lows with this time, right? Like, I feel like everyone's going through a lot of ups and downs, highs and lows. It helps when there's beautiful weather out. You know, there's I, I, there's a lot that's going on during this time. Just as much as this is a health pandemic, it's also a, a mental health crisis. So as a therapist, you know, I'm really mindful of just making sure everyone out there is really taking care of themselves as much as they can. Because, you know, there's a lot out of our control, but there's also a lot that we can control and ways to help ourselves right now. As a listener, how can I take care of my mind, body, and soul in this pandemic? 
Yeah, so the, the first thing I'd recommend is with the media, we really try and limit the intake that's coming in. You know, it, it makes sense to be informed and educated, but just to stay off the media until people aren't, you know, on it all day long, that's really good for your mental health, just to, to be educated and at the same time not overwhelmed. And just really to have self-care practices, whatever that looks like for everyone. You know, for me, that's taking a walk or calling, connecting with friends or meditation. And so I always recommend everyone know what that looks like for them, what makes them feel good, whether that means going to a gym or, you know, reading a good book or journaling, just really right now to try and do what we can in moments to take care of ourselves, you know, and, and even to write it down because lots of times that we can get into like an emotional mindset right now. So how do we write it down and have something in front of us? I'm, I'm telling all my clients to do that where it's almost like on the fridge or wherever you see something every day, write down all the ways, the healthy ways that you can help yourself and know that you can go to those during those times. And, and then like also just to know as people, we're resilient, right? Like we, like I'm telling people, like think of hard things you've been through in your life and, and you got through it. What healthy coping skills did you use to get through those times? How can we apply those now? Because as much as this is going on for a while, it, it will pass and we'll find our new normal. We're not sure yet exactly what that looks like, but this everything in life is temporary and does pass. Could you explain some of the healthy ways to deal with uncertain times? Yeah, sure. So I am also a mindfulness teacher. I'm a meditation and a mindfulness teacher. So it's never been so important to try and be present in the moment. Because being in the moment right now, it's hard. Our mind can, when we go to the future and we have kind of these anxious, worried thoughts, which I know everyone is doing right now. Lots of times we worry about things that don't ever happen. You know, we go to our worst case scenario, which doesn't usually happen. So to ask yourself, you know, if once you go there, like for example, the other day I had like a little tiny sore throat when I woke up. And of course your mind goes to like, am I going to get sick? Am I going to end up in the hospital? And then it's almost like, how did say to yourself, is this happening now? Is this a, is this a fact? Is this definitely going to happen? And if the answer is no, how do you bring yourself back to the present? Just really try to kind of bring yourself back to the present moment. Check the facts of what is really going on in your surrounding right now. That's one technique. You know, another technique is if your mind is um, racing. A lot of people aren't sleeping well right now. So before you go to bed, if your mind is racing and you're having all these thoughts, almost like to grab a piece of paper and just see if you can dump those thoughts on a piece of paper, get them out of your mind onto paper. And that helps kind of take that stress off of us. You know, what's your sleep routine look like these days? It's, I mean, my routine is, is fairly okay. Just because, you know, I think it helps for me because I am working and my routine hasn't changed so much as far as like the morning I get up and I see clients over Zoom, even though it's not in person. But I think for a lot of people, what's happening is if there isn't that set routine right now, people are just really staying up late and not committing to like a, any type of sleep schedule. So what, what I would recommend people do is try their best to stick to somewhat of a schedule, you know, going to bed at certain time or getting up at a certain time the next morning, um, staying off technology as much as possible before bed, having like a relaxing nighttime routine, whether that mean listen to some relaxing sounds or music or do some breathing or just kind of like that unwind time before bed. So that that's that's always important right now, just to try and stick. And, and at the same time, like I'm telling people, be kind to yourselves because I can say like, okay, stick to this, you know, your old habits, your routine. And 
you know, it's not so realistic. I even have that. Like, when, you know, I have young children. <laughs> so like, it changes. It does. Like, I had young children, and at first I was like, okay, they're going to have this schedule, and they're going to do this every day. And then it kind of like kind of went out the window after that. I was like, okay, this is not working. So instead of beating ourselves up for what's not working, let's think of what we're doing well during this. Let's not beat ourselves up. Let's be kind to ourselves. Let's try to stick to positive, like good habits. And if we can't, no, let's just know we can always reset and start over. It doesn't have to look like where we just, you know, go to bed and we're thinking of all the things we didn't do well or right. Actually, I'm recommending people before bed to think of the three wins they had for the day. What are the three things you did well? It could even be like, you know, I made a healthy breakfast or I got up or I took a walk. Whatever it is, you need to take care of yourself right now to just to be kind. What were your three wins yesterday night? <laughs> night, I'm trying to think of my three wins. Well, you know, speaking of speaking of habits, I have not really stuck to my habits as far as I, before this pandemic happened, I was working out a couple of days a week and that kind of fell off for me during this. I was taking walks, but I wasn't working out. So yesterday I was like, okay, I got to reset. So yesterday my wins were that I did some weights and had like a small workout in my house, which had been a long time since I did that. I went on a bike ride and was outside. It was a beautiful day here in New York yesterday. And I made, you know, I sat down and had a nice meal with my family, a healthy meal. But like I said, for me, I had fallen off that for a few weeks. So, you know, it's good to know you can you can always just start again. But yesterday was a it was a nice day because it was really nice outside. And nobody's perfect. We always get off of our schedule and routines. The resiliency is to come back as soon as we can. You know, once we get off of the track, it's our mindset to come back on the track that is serving us. Yeah, 100%. And why do you think people stay in the future and when future is uncertain and when we know that there is nothing we can do about the future? Just the way that our mind is set up. Our mind has 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. I mean, that's a lot of thoughts. I think it's something like, you know, thousands of thoughts per hour. So our mind, we like to know the future. We don't like uncertainty. Just as humans, like we, we want to be able to kind of control things as much as we can. And, and the reality is like, we, there's a lot we can't. So, but our mind does that when we're, where we're thinking of the future. Lots of times that's kind of stress, anxiety, things come up. And then when we're thinking of the past, sometimes, you know, we can have regrets or sadness. I mean, I'm not saying always, but that's why being in the present is, is important to try to do. And it's very hard for people to do to be in the present moment but it's, it's where we are it's the here and now right now and I think right now you know being in a place where we've never been and we don't know exactly what day-to-day -day looks like it's important to try and bring back to the future and the moments and what's going well in the present moment and what we can do in the present moment like I'm telling people you know I've done so many speaking things lately where I'm on zoom calls with a lot of people and I'm saying if you're on this call right now you're safe enough and healthy enough to be on this call like you know just to like bring ourselves back to the present to tell ourselves like right now I'm safe right now you know I'm I'm okay like to tell ourselves these thoughts to help bring ourselves into the moment And as a psychotherapist, why do you emphasize more on mindfulness meditation? Because they are sort of different fields, if, if that makes yeah. sense. 
Totally, it totally makes sense. It's it's where I chose to bring my specialty. A lot of therapists don't, or some therapists don't know that much about mindfulness and meditation. But for me, it's something I, I actually fell into it. I didn't seek it out. What happened was I was in the field and um, the research showed that my meditation is one of the best stress relievers for anxiety. And and I don't know that I so much bought into it at first, I would say, because I live a very busy life. So at first, I didn't even think of something I could do. But what happened is early on in the field, I felt inauthentic because I'd be talking to clients and I say, okay, try breathing and meditation because I heard the benefits of the research of it, but I hadn't really done it so much myself. So I ended up getting into a stress-based mindfulness training through my through my field. And it was kind of funny because I had a new baby at home. I mean, my husband was working so many hours at that time. I was taking this class. I was working part-time. I, I really did not have free time very much. And so I take this class and the teacher tells us our homework every day is to meditate, do meditation every day. And I actually had to come back to class with my log and it wouldn't be filled out. And she would say to me like, you know, she, she would kind of like argue with me, like, how are, why are you not doing this? And I would say, I'm too busy. And she would say, well, you'd be less stressed if you actually did your work and did your meditation. So fast forward about like eight, nine, 10 trainings later, um, where it was kind of like pushed on me. I, I now meditation is my, my number one self-care thing. I could not believe in it more, but I think I had, I think a lot of people have this misconception that with meditation, they can't stop their mind from thinking, so they can't do it. And that's actually completely a misconception because meditation, <laughs> yeah, meditation, you're la- you can have thoughts on meditation. You can have a hundred thoughts while you're trying to meditate. What meditation is, is about bringing your thoughts back to your breath or, you know, whatever your like focus point is, if it's like listening to a meditation or breathing, and you may have to do that a hundred times. And what happens is this trains your mind in real life to when you're having those future thoughts, when you're having those worried thoughts, it trains your mind after doing meditation for a while to bring yourself back to you know the here and now and and it took me a long time like i said too as a you know not just as a therapist but as a person doing meditation but then i believed in it so much that i enrolled myself in a teacher certification class and now i'm a certified meditation teacher and then i went back a couple of years later and got certified in bringing meditation to organizations and companies so i believe that much into in it and at first i would not say it was at all my go-to technique what difference do you feel after you meditate i just feel really it's more relaxing to me. Like it's, it's my, it's my go-to. I know that if I, I, you know, over time meditation is a lot about consistency. So if you do like two minutes one day and 20 minutes, three weeks later, you don't get much benefit out of it. it I mean, I tell people that five minutes a day is better than doing 20 minutes one day and a minute, you know, weeks later. So even if you just do five minutes a day, it's consistency. You'll just feel the health benefits, not right away. But, you know, the health benefits with meditation are endless. It could be better immune system, less stress, less anxiety, overall well-being, better happiness. So there's so many benefits. And I mean, I know in my life, I definitely feel them. I feel like I can bring my mind back from that worried thought. Like, I don't know, for example, say like I send someone an email and, you know, maybe in that past, they'd be like, well, why aren't they responding? You know, and you, you go down like this rabbit hole, different, you know, what did I do? <laughs> this is common. This is yeah, really common. exactly. And I'm able with having done meditation for a long time to tell myself, like, let it go. And like lots of times I can let it go so much quicker than I did in the past. So that's been a benefit. And just really just feeling overall like I have, I have an outlet for relaxing. I think it really helps. Is there any other practice in your life 
you perform for relaxation and calm? I take walks all the time. I really, I live kind of close to the water, which I love. I didn't grow up near the water. So now that I'm an adult living near the water, it's, it's really special to me. And I take walks along the water or just walks in general. Walks really help clear my head for my mental well-being. I find just getting out in nature to be really healing. I love hiking. I love being outside. All that to me is really important. So after you have all these mindfulness tools and resources, what difference has it made in your therapy practice? Well, my therapy practice, it's been really great because I now um, have in my, I have been in, the, in my office for about two years. I love my office. It was kind of my dream office. And I got it about two years ago after working so hard to get to this place. And um, in my office, I have a meditation studio as well. So I have a therapy room and then a room I can use for meditation. And, you know, I use it in different ways. Like I, I recently just got done leading an eight-week mindfulness stress reduction-based program where I had a weekly group in my meditation office. And then other times I'm just in my therapy office and I'm working with clients and I'm including, you know, breathing techniques in their therapy or including um, mindfulness techniques they can use. And I've seen big differences. I mean, I've seen clients go from, I mean, I've had clients come out of the hospital after suicide attempts and, you know, a couple of years later having practiced mindfulness techniques amongst other therapy techniques and, you know, really taking care of themselves doing really well. So I've seen transformations happen in people's lives and I, I really believe it can. That is very powerful. And as a listener, if I'm going through any struggle or any mental health problem, should I go to a therapist or should I go to a mindfulness-based teacher? Um, I recommend starting with a therapist. I think a therapist, therapists are highly trained in mental health. And I think that that's important. But I do think if you're interested in mindfulness, then what you could do is look for a therapist who, who does mindfulness. And therapists will have their, you know, their bios out there, their websites. Psychology Today is a, a resource where you can put in your zip code and look for a therapist. And you just look for what therapist speaks to you. So like, usually therapists have you know, information about them. And if you're looking for a therapist, read about them. And I, I, you'll, you'll find someone that speaks to you because therapy is all about the relationship. For me, that's, I think that's the number one thing about therapy. It's all about the relationship with a the therapist. You know, the, the person coming in for therapy really has to feel comfortable and supported and not judged and, you know, know that it's an open place. And not every therapist is for every person. It's really about the right match. So sh how should we find the right fit for for us, or I should say, find finding a right therapist fit. So, you know, like I said, I think it's really about just looking up the therapist and getting to hear about them. I mean, you can, someone could call a therapist too. And usually therapists sometimes will do like an initial phone call and, you know, think of as a listener, think of what questions you have for the therapist. What would you like most from a therapist? Is it that they have a, a mindfulness training? Is it they have a training in changing behaviors? Is it that they're open-minded? And, and ask the therapist those questions. Like, you know, let's ask what you, what you want to get out of therapy or what some, a viewer, someone wants to get out of therapy. They should, they should interview the therapist too. And uh, now how, how does your family describe what you do for a living? So that's an interesting question. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. So it's funny because my kids, they're nine and seven and I wouldn't say they're I haven't, I've been working and trying to get them into the meditation thing and 
it's, it's a rough battle, to be honest. You know, when I go to teach a meditation at my daughter's school or at her Girl Scout troop, she's all into it because the other kids are. But at home, you know, I'm trying to work it in, but it's, it's, they've been a bit resistant to pick it up. So, you know, my husband does not meditate at all, which is, you know, like it's really not his thing, but, (laughs) you know, but, but he has this thing where he's super dedicated to working out. So everyone has their own self-care techniques. But but I think my daughter has really picked up on the fact that, you know, I'm, I have such a healing part. I'm a healer. That's like what I feel like I do. And she has the same. I've always had really strong intuition my whole life. And that's really what I go by most as a therapist. And my daughter seems to really have that. that and it's nice. Like she's very, she's just warm and she's kind and she's open and caring and really cares about what other people are going through. And she has those like special qualities. So if somebody doesn't want to meditate, how would you encourage them? (laughs) Well, I think a lot of it's also about education. I think people maybe are misinformed a bit about meditation. I I think it's just being open to giving it a try. Like I said, a lot of people have this view before they even start meditation that they just can't do it because they feel that they can't stop their mind from thinking. So I think it's really about just being open. I believe that we grow from stepping out of our comfort zone. And a lot of people, you know, people have difficulty stepping out of their comfort zone. But if you're willing to be open and try new things, you never know what can happen. Did you ever try to educate your husband about meditation? (laughs) <laughs> well, I have. I don't know. One day, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. It's a work in progress. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but you know, I do think about my husband, which is great, is that he really has his strong self-care techniques, which he commits to. So maybe meditation isn't for every person. I mean, I know it helps, and I believe it, and I know it. But, you know, if someone else has their practice that helps them, then good for them. Like, if that means, you know, working out or running or whatever it is that makes them feel mentally well and good. And, and that's, that's great. Yes, meditation is one of the practices. And if someone has other practices to work on their emotional, mental, physical well-being, that's fine. Med- you, you know, you don't have to do meditation. And I personally didn't do any meditation up until three years ago. Now I'm a consistent meditator. And when I was nine or seven, I did not know about meditation, whether any meditation exists or not. Right. Uh huh. Have you found meditation to be really helpful for you? Yeah, it's. I think consistency is the key, and explaining the feeling is very difficult. It just you feel something different. It just the feeling that you know that you are on the right path. You know that you can deal with the stress anxiety, anger, or any negative emotion in a better way. And when having mindfulness practices doesn't mean that all those circumstances won't happen. It's just that you will encounter them with loving kindness, you know, with more awareness, with more attuned to your body, your feelings. It's just one of those tools that helps to deal with the circumstances and in the current situation with coronavirus, we can't change what is going on around us, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it helps to reduce some some sort of stress and right. anxiety. I think something you said was important that 
we have, we're going to have our feelings, right? We're going to have our feelings of overwhelm or sadness or frustration. And, you know, just to be kind to ourselves that we, everyone has feelings. That's part of living is having feelings. So it's just a matter of like knowing that you have those feelings. And then also when it gets to a point where you feel like, I don't know, it's not serving you well. Maybe if like, for example, you know, with this virus thing, if people are feeling down and staying in bed for days on end, like then, then, then when you know it's not serving you well, what can you do to help yourself? Right? Like, so that means like knowing that, you know, you got to take care of yourself too. So we're going to have our feelings, but then how do we, how do we at some point distract from them? Or, you know, how do we at some point make ourselves get out of bed and do the things that make us feel good? So it's, it's all like that balance of being kind to yourself, having your feelings and then having techniques to help yourself with them. And uh, going back in your past career, you used to be a fashion executive and then you switched from your career to becoming a psychotherapist and licensed clinical social worker. Why is that move happened? Could you please elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. So I kind of had like the dream life. I was in fashion in Manhattan, in New York. And basically, I was a fashion and sales executive in the garment district. I always knew I wanted to be in two careers. I always kind of knew like in my heart that I was meant to be a therapist. I was always that person that everyone went to. I was always really open-minded, non-judgmental, just just kind to people and got along with pretty much anyone. But I also was really into the fashion industry. I thought it was fun. I thought it was exciting. I loved clothes. I loved fashion. So starting from like the beginning of college, I would intern in the fashion industry. I spent a summer out in California doing like personal shopping as a stylist. And then I spent a year in London, where in London, I worked in PR and fashion. And these were all like internships early in my field. So what happened was I worked my way up after college in Manhattan to the point where before, when I left, I was running a $10 million business, which I had generated, and I had a team underneath me. At that point in my field, I mean, I worked really hard to get there. But at that point, it was, I mean, there were so many great parks. I was traveling to cool places. Like I went to, you know, London for a few days to, went shop, to go shopping just to pick out things I thought were cool for my, my team. I was in California a lot, maybe every other month or every month, probably sometimes more than once a month. I was out in California. And what I did was there, the buyers would come to me and I'd help them pick out what would be great for them on the floor for the seasons and their stores. So it was fun. You know, we had, I was in Manhattan. I was in my early twenties. We had to, you know, we would take out clients where I would be taking them out to the best restaurants in Manhattan. And I mean, it was just, it was a fun time for someone in their twenties. Right. But what happened was in 2005, I, I always knew I was going to be a therapist. Like I said, I actually applied to go to school to be to, for therapy and I didn't go. I was like, how can I go? Like I am set up for this amazing career you know, I was making really good money at the time. Like I said, I was traveling, doing all these fun things, going to fashion shows. So I decided not to go. I applied to school and I was like, okay, I'm not going to follow that. My instinct, which is to be a therapist, how could I give up this career? It, it doesn't like, this is people dream of getting here and I've worked so hard for it. I mean, one thing I can say about myself is I am such a hard worker. So I put in all the hours and I worked so hard to get to that place that oh, anyone would have wanted in the fashion industry. I was set up to eventually probably, eventually I probably could have been a VP of a company and all these things in fashion. I was, I was close to that. And then in 2005, my father passed away from suicide. He was a really highly successful hospital CEO, literally worked up until the day he passed away. He did not tell 
anyone he was suffering. I mean, nobody. He he had it all together. He was going to work. I mean, the night before he passed, he went to like a party with his friends. After he passed, I found that he, out that he went to an outside community to get medication for depression, and he hid his depression in silence because he didn't want anyone to know what he was going through because of his status as a hospital CEO, and he always held it together. I mean, I can truly say I never saw my father depressed. I mean, a day in my life. I mean, as a therapist now, I can look back and remember moments where knowing the symptoms now, I didn't know then, you know, possibly where he might have been down and things, but he really suffered in silence. And and that's a true thing that happens sometimes. And, you know, so three years later, what happened is I, I left my career. I mean, I, I was at the height of my career and I, I went in my boss's office and I was like, I'm leaving. And, you know, I, I, it took, I mean, it took a lot of thinking to, to make that decision, but I applied to grad school. I got into Columbia University and I, I gave up my career that I worked so hard for and I left and I went back to school and I dedicated my life to helping other people with mental health in the mental health field. And, and it's, it's not my, almost like my why found me because I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't know it was going to happen my father and I wanted to do this before. And, and now I know I'm doing like exactly what I'm meant to be doing. And, you know, for a long time, I didn't talk about what happened to me publicly. And now I am because I think it's really important. I want, I want to get, besides seeing clients and helping them on a day-to-day basis, I want to get out there publicly everywhere I can and speak about decreasing the stigma and silence behind mental health conditions. Because one in four people suffer from a mental health condition. And like it's like, why is it not discussed more freely? Why can't we discuss it just as something like heart disease or you know, any other type of physical ailment. So, so that's my story. And that's kind of what I, that's what I went through to get here. It wasn't easy. I mean, it was super hard. Um, still is hard at times with what I went through. But, you know, I think I'm more apt to help people too, based on what I've experienced as a family member losing a loved one to suicide. And not to mention someone who was highly successful. It was hard. Yeah. Thanks for explaining your story. How did your life change after your dad's suicide? Or I should say, in what ways your life took turnaround? My, my life feels like it changed completely. I mean, even though I knew it didn't, it just was a different life. Like I, I look at my life, my life feels like, two, I feel like I've lived two lives. I feel like it was like the life before my father passed and the life after, they feel completely separate. My family dynamic changed a lot because everyone in my family dealt with the situation very differently. Um, so it's hard when you're used to a dynamic of four people and you have your way when something changes it. And that's like any family that's going through grief or a loss, it completely shifts. And it's hard when people are all dealing with it differently. However, I'm really close to my mom, my brothers, so, you know, I'm happy for that. But it just has made me look at life very differently, you know, kind of wanting to live my life to the fullest, to do everything possible, to know that life can be short, to, um, you know, that's one way. Another way is, you know, I, I've been through really hard times. I've, I've gotten through them. And in some way, that's a comfort for me, knowing that, you know, this virus thing is happening and it's so scary and it's, it's, there's all these uncertainties. But at the same time, I've been through what happened to my father and other things in my life that I, I, I'm doing okay. I mean, obviously, like if I lose someone really close to me that I will deal with that grief and that struggle. But I mean, almost I'm at that point in my life where I feel like I've dealt with so much that whatever comes my way, I'll get through it. Like I'll figure out how to deal with it. And I'm not saying that's easy. That could, that takes a lot of work and it's a long road and it's, it's, it's not easy and it's, it's not fair and life isn't always fair, but I, I just, I, 
I've persevered through what happened to me. And I mean, I'm okay. I wouldn't say I, I can say I have my hard times, but you know, I, but I also work really hard at that. I don't think it's easy to just get through things and be like, okay, I'm okay. Like I put in every work, I, like all the work I could to get through and be where I'm at today. So I, you know, that's my life has just changed. I just, I just want to live my life to the fullest. I want to enjoy things. I want to live in the moment, all those things. It's a long road. It's not an easy process. It's yeah. never going to be an easy process. Never. No. And do you still feel grief from your dad's suicide? Yes. I definitely still feel grief from my dad's suicide. I have, you know, some of the best moments are the hardest moments. Like you get married and it's bittersweet. You have a child, it's bittersweet. That person's not there. There's moments where I have, you know, it's like I have successes and I would have wanted to share that with my father. So there's always grief. I think I'm going to have grief the rest of my life. There's always that missing void. And, you know, there's moments that bring that up. There's something that he would have liked or something he doesn't see that it comes back. It always does. Um, but and, and a lot of people, including my mom, that I, I'm, I'm okay to speak about it in this conversation that my elder brother died six years ago due to blood cancer in just two months he he passed away and my mom is still having that grief process you know she's not able to come out of that and uh, i would like to ask you as part of your therapy practice you also speak to patients who are going through loss and grief so how do you how do you deal with those patients or what practices do you have with them considering the fact that you still feel grief in your life from your past yeah sure i mean loss and grief i deal with people with loss and grief all the time and i actually feel that i'm better at it because i understand it so you know i i am very able to separate my own experiences in the room with clients and make it about them i really have that capability where i can do that um i can separate my stuff and really be there with them. However, I feel like because of what I've been through, I am so much more able to help them in the fact like I have a human understanding of what's happened, you know, of, of grief and loss. And I think I actually do the best work probably of people going through grief and loss because I, and grief and loss can come about in so many ways, but loss and grief is, it's a process and it changes and there's all different stages. So the stages of grief, grief and loss are denial, Kind of feeling like it doesn't seem real. How did this happen? Even though you know it's real. Then there's anger, like anger, like how could this have happened? This isn't fair. You know, then there's depression, sadness, like just that sadness and that mourning and yearning for that person. Then there's, you know, negotiating and like bargaining, kind of like, okay, what if I done this differently in my life? Maybe this wouldn't have happened. And then there's acceptance. And acceptance doesn't mean approval. That's not what it means. It means it just, it happened. You can't change it. So you almost have to accept the, the new normal you have. So those are all stages of grief and they all come and go and they come in different phases. So anyone really going through grief experiences those. And, you know, the, you might think the anger is gone and then you might have a moment where it comes back. You might feel like, okay, I'm not sad. I'm waking up every day and I'm not sad anymore. And then two years later, you have a moment where you're really sad and that's okay. That's normal. You know, our grief just shows how much we loved at the same time. We're not going to be grieving for someone if we didn't love them and loving them is really important. So 
so what you're saying is this thing is never going to be ended it just when we have all these processes we can you know when we have and we feel sad when we feel grief we can always come back and feel it and let it go we don't have to live with that sad emotion all the time right i mean i definitely think time heals i will say that those phases do come and go but time time definitely heals so over time the intensity of it it changes the intensity does change i mean there's moments like i said there's moments where you might be tri- someone might be triggered and that intensity feels really tough in those moments but the the severity the intensity all that changes and time does heal and you know i i i'm not taking away from how significant the loss is but people do go on and have other positive things that happen in their life as well what what do you think is the most difficult thing for people in this grief process i mean i think that looks different for everyone right i think it really looks different for everyone it's hard for me to say but i mean what i can recommend is just getting help if the coping mechanisms aren't good because of course sometimes people cope with you know alcohol to numb feelings or you know that's just one example of many that aren't the most healthy techniques so when when the techniques get unhealthy then i i encourage people to that point really reach out like or even beforehand just reach out for help if you need it like what i'm what my new mission in my field is like i said to decrease the stigma behind mental health issues so if someone needs help there's no shame in asking for help i know sometimes people want to feel like they can do it all and they they don't need help but it's okay to ask for help everyone needs help once in a while it has no reflection of how strong someone is or you know it's just we all need help once in a while and that's okay and according to you what makes a good therapist just according to its your belief just not being judgmental like you know don't be judgmental i i just think therapists shouldn't should really be mindful of their own judgments i mean listen every single person in the world's human and has some sort of judgment somewhere but really when someone walks in my door i am with them where they're at and i, I mean i'm one of those people you could tell me anything and it it just i'm used to hearing anything and it doesn't faze me but just just be mindful of judgments like everyone deserves a chance and people make mistakes and you know people people deserve chances and people deserve to be looked at as humans and have you know have people be open towards them and all those things so just really and just really to be kind and caring does this uh, virtue i would say this is a virtue being non-judgmental is a virtue so does it come naturally to you or do you practice or work at it i think overall it's come pretty naturally to who i am to my my being i mean but do i have moments of judging of yeah of course like and i and I, it's funny i almost judge those closest to me like i judge those in my household <laughs> you know i want i want something a certain way in my house my husband's always like why are you so judgmental non-judgmental of everyone in the world except your you know me and your family and you know it's cuz cuz in my house I want things a certain way but you know out in the world like yeah I think I've always been pretty non-judgmental I mean I'm one of those people that I've worked with I've worked with everybody I've worked with every type type of population and I've worked with populations that are extremely different from myself and the way I was raised so I think I have an openness to that 
And I've just really been able to get along across everything. I've been able to get along with people in my life across socioeconomic, across races, across, you know, diversity. I mean, all those things. So I've really been able to, that's just who I am. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think anyone's less than or better than we're all just people. We're all the same. Maybe I can learn some non-judgmental practices from you. <laughs> <laughs> so since you are talking about grief, so when we have grief, there is always positive emotion. When we have, when we are sad, we are always excited. So there is always a positive emotion. Negative emotion cannot exist on its own. Then how, what, how do you define happiness in your life now? What, what makes you fulfilled? Well, just I'll, I'll answer that, but one, just one quick thing too about the judgmentalness thing. It's also like a, it's also a work in progress as well for everybody. So I even have clients who actually track how many times they're judgmental towards other people because like it's something they need to work on. So it's just like, like you meant, judgmentalness is also something people can work on and improve on. And that could look at judging their self or other people. And so. I, I remember this saying from Brené Brown that when we, the, when we judge somebody, in one area, it means we are most vulnerable and shame about it. 100%. Our people's judgments are a reflection on themselves, not actually on the people they're judging. So it's something about them that they need to work through. And it's their own stuff, their own, maybe their own anxieties, their own fears, their own worries. So so it's almost like, have you ever heard that phrase? What it's like, I'm trying, it's just like other people's judgments are none of your business. Like there's that phrase. Yeah. Like. Yes. So anyway, so that's about judgment. But so what, the happiness question, what were you saying? What is, yes. what is happiness? I, I don't, I mean, not to be like the, the bummer, you know, but, but like, I don't, I don't believe in like true happiness 24 seven. I just don't. I think life is full of all sorts of emotions, all sorts of feelings, but you can work towards being the most content with your life and adding, you know, appreciating moments of joy and being grateful. And, you know, research shows if you practice gratitude and what you're grateful for, it helps change from the negative thinking. If we, you know, look at what we want to be doing. I mean, there was a time in my life actually fairly recently where I started to think about how am I spending my time and looking at my calendar? And I still, this is still a work in progress for me. And am I doing things I actually want to be doing or things I have to be doing or should be doing? And what does that look like? I know a lot of times we ha we do we have to do certain things in our life, like for career or obligations. But then, how are we spending our time is it, is it doing things we want to be doing with our lives? And I've tried to make that shift a lot over the last few years, and I'm a lot happier doing that, where I'm like doing things that actually are important to me. So I I think it's just evaluating all aspects of how to make yourself happy, which means. Like I said, appreciating moments, being grateful, surrounding yourself with people that lift you up and, you know, doing things you enjoy. And these things are very simple and still people struggle with that because finding gratitude in whatever we are doing in life and because of our mind always seeking for negative things, need, needs for survival. So when we are in a gratitude state, we can focus on things that we have rather than things that we don't have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it helps to just almost write down sometimes things you're grateful for. You know, in the morning, if pe people have a gratitude practice, I mean, it's just research. It shows that they, they fare better in that. So if you write down in the morning a couple things you're grateful for, and like I said it before bed, write down a couple things you did well during the day. That just helps. And, I, and I'm not saying there won't be negative emotions that come up there will be 
but at times, but it's, it's, it's a work like anything else, something you have to work towards. And is there any, any conversation from your life? Do you remember? It could be one conversation or multiple conversation that has impacted you positively in your life. I'm trying to think. It's a hard question. Well, my brother is someone that I really admire. He's, he's my best friend. And, you know, I really admire him because he does not care what people think from the time he was a little kid. He does whatever, he does what he wants, but like in a way, like he shoots for the stars. Like my brother has these goals and he reaches every single one of them and every single one of them, like more so, like meaning like he, you know, he wanted to start a business and now he has like 10 businesses. I mean, you know, he just is, he was interested in flying and then he like went on to get his flying license and all these different planes and now he flies all over the world. I mean, he just, he, my brother, I, what I would say is he doesn't follow the crowd. He does what he wants, but he does what he loves. He does what he enjoys and he's a super hard worker and he's super successful and he works towards everything he has and he just lives life to the fullest and I really admire that about him. And that's um, where happiness lies when you do the things you love and you're passionate about. Yeah, I mean, he's never had, like, people have all the time look at him and are like, what is he doing, this kid? And, it, like, when he was young, and he's just, like, beats to his own drum. And he, and you know what? Like, good for him. He's accomplished so much. And he just makes me really proud. And, you know, I, I just, I always am inspired by him. That's, that's a great story. And what are you most proud of in your life? Most proud of? I'm proud of my my kids like i you know i love my kids and i'm proud of them and just watching them grow and seeing who they become and i'm excited for them just to have the opportunities in the world and hope that they're true to who they want to be and they find their own happiness and i just i just want them to be them and be what makes them what they enjoy and go after who they whatever they want in life can i ask um, you some mm -hmm. questions regarding parenting mm -hmm. yeah i'm not a parent yet but i'm having these questions popping up in my head right now. What makes a successful parent? I don't know. I don't even know if I can answer that question. <laughs> because parenting is really hard. So I think parenting is really tough. And I think a successful parent is just doing the best you can. At the end of the day, no parent is going to parent perfectly. It's not possible. Every parent's going to make mistakes. It's just about doing the best you can and just loving your child. I mean, that's most important, just being loving and caring and doing whatever you can for your kids. Do parents judge their kids? Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, parents totally judge their kids. I mean, I talk about how I'm not judgmental, and I told you I struggle the most with judging in my own house. Yeah, they judge their kids because certain parents, they just want the best for their kids or have expectations for their kids, but there's also that fine line between letting them be them and who they are. So it's it's a hard thing because I think, like, ultimately you just want, you know, if you see your kids going down the wrong track or doing the wrong things, yeah, you're going to judge. But at the end of the day, you know, just hoping them, helping them when, it's when they're independent, they can do the best they can too. But no one's perfect. Kids are going to make mistakes and so are parents. I love what you said, letting them be what they want to be and making them independent and mm -hmm. not spoon feeding every single thing. Right. Yeah. And then what makes a successful child? <laughs> oh, I don't think there's an answer for that either. I think, I don't think it's a successful thing. I think it's just let them be them and, you know, have them learn through life's up and downs and, you know, just, yeah. I mean, there, I don't think there's like a thing as a sex, successful child. I think it's just letting them explore their interests, explore what, you know, they like and 
you know, I try not to push like a million things on my kids if they don't like it. I mean, you know, I have an idea like, okay, let me have them do this and that. But at the end of the day, I just want them to do things that they enjoy that make them happy. That's been an amazing conversation, Jennifer. And where can our listeners find you online? So my website is jennifershapirolee.com. And I'm on, I'm on all the social media outlets. You can find that on my website, but um, Jennifer Shapiro Lee Psychotherapy. I'm on, is for Facebook. And for Instagram, I'm on Jennifer Shapiro Lee. And then I'm also on Twitter under my name and LinkedIn as well. So, and right now during this COVID time, I've been posting videos just to help people through this time. I've been doing free um, meditations. And where I'm going with my career is to be speaking all over publicly about decreasing this shame and stigma behind mental health issues. So hopefully there'll be a lot more to come on my sites about that. So, and I'm currently working on writing a book about that, which I'm super excited about. So um, that will be a work in progress, not out for a few years, but it's something that I'm really passionate about. And I will put all the information, all your social handles in the show notes. Okay, I appreciate it. Well, Jennifer, it's been an amazing conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I hope our listeners will definitely learn so much about mental health, grief process, and learning more on the therapy process. And thank you so much for being on the show. All right. And thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode today. I hope you learned from this episode that you can apply in your life. If you did enjoy this, please subscribe to the podcast, The Nishan Garg Show on Apple Podcasts. You can also subscribe to the show through my website, https colon slash slash nishantgarg.me n-i-s-h-a-n-t-g-a-r-g dot me. You can also share this podcast with your family and friends or whoever want to feel fulfilled. And thank you so much again.